Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. We'll be discussing uh, basically Eddie Murphy's comeback with My Name is Dolomite and his rise through the 80s. I'm your host, Michael, and the other side is Tony. How you doing, Tony? Yeah, what's up, man? So this is kind of a teaser pilot of our show that we'll be doing next year, which is called The Scholars of Sketch, where we're going to go through basically starting at the very first season of Saturday Night Live and going through its history and then its competition throughout the years, other variety shows and sketch shows that came about. Um, so we're going to be doing this episode. We're doing an episode about the uh, Saturday Night Live movies after this. And then in uh, January, we launch with the new series. Cool. And uh, so basically, did you, you saw My Name is Dolomite, correct? Yeah, I did not. Sorry. I, I'm aware of it. I've been, I've been planning on it. I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. Just, I just, for whatever reason, I have not gotten around to it. So I just plan on it. It's yeah. like. I forgot to say something to you about it first, but I mean, it's just nice. I know, I know. It's nice to see that he's finally acting again. It's been years. I think he did like one movie called Mr. Church, but essentially it's been uh, eight years since Tower Heist, which was his last big movie. What was that one that he was like, it was about like the record industry? Uh, I think Beyonce was in it or Jennifer Hudson or something. And, oh, um, Dream Girls. A couple years ago. Yeah. Dream that was, Girls. Yeah, that's the one that, like, that was his first comeback. Well, he's had a stars this big usually have ebbs and flows, um, right? And he and he's had some comebacks, and we're gonna hit that point in the '80s where he kind of ends his run. But yeah, I mean, Nutty Professor saved him, and then uh, Dream Girls saved him, and it didn't seem like he rode the Dream Girls boost very well. And I don't know if that's gonna happen with Dolomite that he might just have these flukes where, and then he's gonna go back and put on all this rubber makeup and act like a doofus again. Well, he's supposed to be releasing his first stand-up special on Netflix for like. A- I think the first time since what um, since Raw, Raw yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, so, for sure. so he's but he has one coming out pretty soon, um, which is it's supposed to be pretty you know pretty pretty massive. I think he's supposed to be hosting SNL up uh, coming up this season too, pretty soon. That's crazy because he said he wasn't going to do it forever. I mean, and that's where <clears> he started at, but there was a whole <clears> blow up with uh, David Spade in '97, I think, or '96. Yeah, and he, he didn't do the 25th anniversary special because of that either. Yeah, and he came on, I think, on the last anniversary special and just kind of said, hey, how's it going? Uh, bye. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, he's primarily yeah. responsible for saving SNL. Yes, there's good cast members in there. I mean, there was Joe Piscopo, and uh, I love Tim Kazernsky and stuff like that. But the person who brought the audience in who became the superstar was Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I mean, for people who don't, who didn't grow up in that era, it, it made he made it an event. So you know, I was really, really too young to be staying up and watching SNL, but you made it. You really fought fatigue to, to watch that. It was it was an event. You really got excited more so, you know, more so about about him than than, than like the guest host. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but this a, is a the era times, when they couldn't even get guest hosts. They were really scraping the bottom yeah. of the barrel because no one wanted to show up. I mean, he wasn't the first SNL star to like be super popular and, bre- and break big and go to movies like you know, the, you know Chevy Chase, um, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd did that before him. But but still though, he really he really brought that excitement back. And there was a bit of a lull after like the original cast kind of dropped off and went on bigger and better things. Um, there really hasn't been that much excitement, you know, in the, in the, in the couple of seasons, you know, post Aykroyd, Chase, Belushi. And um, yeah, he he really made it exciting to see SNL again. He, he like he made it a weekly event. He made it really, you know, a, a, he made it must see TV. Yeah, if I could coin their own phrase. <laughs> you know. Well, it's just amazing because he was 19 and he had never auditioned for anything 
after this. Saturday Night Live is literally the only thing he ever had to audition for. He didn't have an audition for his first movie we're going to discuss is 48 Hours. Oh, 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 he did not audition for that. No, originally I believe it was set up with Richard Pryor, but they were in a hurry. He had to drop out. I think that's when he got burned. And they needed somebody immediately or the film was going to fall apart. And then someone suggested Eddie Murphy and he shot about a week and the studio said, hell no, he's terrible because he was so nervous. He wasn't funny. He right. wasn't interesting. And Walter Hill sat him aside and said, look, you really got to like just calm down. You're fine. You have the job. And he loosened up and then the rest of the film filming went great. But I think they're still nervous when it came out. And then just out of nowhere, you know, 48 hours it was a pretty big hit. Not like the way movies are now, but like I think it made like $40 million, which is a lot of money for like an $8 million movie back then. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that would be, I mean, that would be a pretty decent like re- release nowadays. I mean, like for an opening weekend, I mean, it won't be, it's not like like an Avengers level blockbuster or anything. Right. It's still pretty, still pretty decent. Well, this is back when like, you know, lower budget action movies could break through. And, and you know, Everybody talked about Eddie. I mean, Nick Nolte got a boost from this too, but it was Eddie Murphy. Right. Everybody was talking about and this. Like, this kid's a star. No, he was. He was hot. He was like, you know, he. It's like it's you know it's similar to like Chip, Chip, Dave Chappelle when he was on the Chappelle Show and he was start, starting to do movies and he was at the top of his game. It's it's like it's almost like a very similar situation with uh, Eddie Murphy. He was red hot back then and he was like he he was the it guy in Hollywood. Yeah, then. it was only a matter of time. Or he's going to leave, you know, SNL to go to movies full, movies full time, like, you know, like Chevy Chase and John Belushi did. Right. Well, and, and people forget Chevy Chase left after the first season. But Eddie stuck around. He came in the very end of uh, 80, 81. He was only in like six episodes, I think. And people noticed him. They fired everybody except him and Piscopo. And then <laughs> I think it's toward the end of season. His second season is when he really became like the star. It took a while for him to find his place. And... You know, he broke out with 48 Hours, and then he had his two stand-up albums, which were phenomenon. Oh, what the hell were those even called? I can't remember. Well, Delirious was the first okay. one I came, became aware of, and then and then Raw was the uh, the follow-up one. I could have swore there was a second one in there. I could have swore I had two of them when I was a kid. One, I think, no, what, one, one was called Comedian. That was the 83 special. Delirious, I believe, was the 81 huh. special. So, I mean, he was working his ass off doing this. And, you know, and then uh, somewhere in the middle, I can't remember what year it was, they just, someone said, hey, you could be a musician. All right. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, he's not a horrible, but it's just like it wasn't, you know, he, if, I can, if I can criticize Eddie Murphy at all, he's not the strongest writer. And I think that's probably why he had a little bit of a hard time breaking through SNL at first, because you kind of have to write yourself in. Uh-huh. If you want to be on a sketch, you kind of have to, like, write your own material. And, um, like, you know, he, um, like, Glorious was good, but he, he always, he, he had a lot of help with co-writers. Like, I know, like, Raw was co-written by Keenan Ivory Wayans. And, um, so, like, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, his, his original stand-up's pretty good, too, but, like, he, he's the best when he has a writing partner. You know, so, I guess him, him writing his own music, maybe. Yeah, well, it's interesting, because Rick James is the one who basically got him that first hit. But after that, right. I don't understand why he sings in such high falsetto. It's so strange because he has a deep voice. But you listen to like later when he did that Michael Jackson video, or like, oh, what's up with you? Or what's up with that? Or something like that. I was like, oh, no, no, no. Stop. Please stop. Yeah, usually when you don't have much range as a vocal artist, falsetto is usually your go-to. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's, there's, there's really good vocalists who do falsetto all the time. Like, you know, like your Justin Timberlake's and your Adam Levine's. I mean, they could, they could hit other 
they have a pretty good range, but there's some people who don't have the range and they just kind of stay with falsetto because it's easy. It's easier to disguise your shortcomings as a vocalist if you just yeah. Stay well, they don't do that anymore. That, they just auto tune to cover it up. Yeah. <laughs> But um, after yeah, that is when I can't remember if he was the first build. I still think Dan Aykroyd was the first build on Trading Places, and that's the one I think when people confirmed that he was a star because Forty Eight Hours had the action and Nick Nolte was already an established star, whereas I think right. Trading Places focused more on him instead of him being the sidekick that they were partners in it, and he did a lot of mm-hmm. improv and that's when they kind of really got into what his skills were. No, yeah, you're right. I, and I do believe, I do believe you're correct. I think, I think Akron was the top, was the top billing. Not just because, al- not just because alphabetically, but I think he just was slightly, uh, slightly a bigger star at that, at that point, as big of a star as Eddie Murphy was back then. I think he was just you know, more of a household name. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think, I think it shows Dan Aykroyd always works better as a duo because when he's the well, only he, lead, it never seems to work. Yeah. Well, he's the consummate straight man. He's a really, and he's talented on his on his own. But he's always better in a comedy duo as a straight man, as as you as you know, seen in the Blues Brothers. You know, yeah, Great Outdoors, Ghostbusters, just, stuff like that. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and it would be a team up. Mm-hmm. I forgot that John Landis would work with, <clears throat> excuse me, work with both of them quite a bit because he had done Blues Brothers, uh, Trading Places, and Spies Like Us with Dan Aykroyd. And then he would do uh, Trading Places, uh, Coming to America, and Beverly Hills Cop 3 with Eddie. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's definitely uh, stick with his, uh, his uh, uh, two favorite muses right there. You know, it's, I, mean, it's, I mean, I'm not like as, I'm not as, uh, I'm not as familiar with uh, film directors as you are. Is he still, does he still direct movies? I feel like I haven't heard. No, heard it's, um, film in God, I think. The longest time. Well, I mean, he had so many bombs in the 90s. I mean, the first one, I don't know how it is. So this is John Landis real quick. We're going to sidestep. In the 80s, this is what John Landis did. Um, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, Twilight Zone the movie, uh, Into the Night. Thriller, too? Yeah, Into the Night was the only bomb in there. Um, Three Amigos, uh, Coming to America. And then the 90s just punched him in the face constantly. And then no one wanted to hire him. It was like The Stupids, yeah. Blues Brothers 2000, uh, Oscar, um, uh, Innocent Blood Brothers Cop 3, which is uh, embarrassing. And then by the <laughs> 2000s, no one wanted him anymore. I think he's more of a commentator. Like He does a lot of uh, commentary tracks for older movies, and he wrote a book on horror movies, which was great. But yeah, he's just kind of okay. like a lot of directors. Though. The 90s were rough on a lot of these big names. Yeah, he directed uh, Thriller too, didn't he? Or... Uh, yeah, I think he did, Mike, actually. Mike, Mike... Video, okay. I'm just, just because that's that's the first time I was aware of him. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that because that video was epic and it was like you know that was almost almost like a movie release back then. Not not, not to go off on tangents. But yeah, well, I think the only the only music video to ever be put out on tape by itself, you know, as one music video, then the making of Thriller, and that's that's just insane. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah. So Trading Places cemented Eddie Murphy as a star, and that's when he tripped up for the first time is because they had a movie called Best Defense with Dudley Moore that was not working whatsoever. And they think they paid him $3 million for a week of work to come in and just improv a bunch of stuff inside of a tank. And critics hated it. It got dumped, and, and, and no one liked it. Have you ever seen Best Defense? You know what? It's funny. I've never seen that. And I remember as a kid seeing the trailer for that and thinking, and I was a big Eddie Murphy fan, thinking like, no, 
even even that's not even as big of a fan of his as I am, it's not going to do it for me. It's not going to win. I just, there's something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. Looked, it didn't look. It didn't look like it was being phoned in, and I didn't even know enough back then to know that it was. I could tell. It just something about it. I got a bad vibe about. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to bother my mom to give me the money. Yeah. To go to the movie theater. You know what I mean? You you kind of have to pick your battles as a kid. You know, like how much how bad do you want to see that? And I just I just wasn't it wasn't the hill I was willing to die on back then. Really. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's when he signed off on SNL. The 83-84 was his last season, and then he came in for the Christmas special in 84. And I remember his monologue was the fact that he goes, well, I wasn't ever going to come back to this stupid show. He's all joking and stuff like that. But he was like, then Best Defense came out, so I signed on. I said, Lorne Michaels. Or no, that wasn't Lorne Michaels running the show at the time. Uh, Bob Olemeyer, I think, was running it. And he says, uh, can I come back, please? And so he did the Christmas special just as Beverly Hills Cop opened up. And of course, that was a phenomenon that rode for like eight months in the top ten. Yeah, perhaps I spoke too soon. I'm going to take off. I'm going to leave off. You know, I'm going to take off again, and you know, that's going to be it for me. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I went to a triple feature. I think it was the first showing that year at the drive-in and spring break, and they showed 48 Hours Trading Places in Beverly Hills Cop, and I think I stayed awake for all of it, and that was astounding because. Wow. Triple features in the drive-in were not very common. Yeah, I, you know, I've I've never even seen a double feature. That's like a lot to. That's a that's like a big portion of my day, man. That's like a lot to commit to. Yeah, <laughs> when, when I was like, younger, man, I could go to double features, but now I'm like my ass is aching. Well, because every movie now is three hours long instead of ninety minutes. Yeah, and God forbid it's like an Avengers movie where you have to wait and see through the credit oh, scene and special. You know what I mean? I watched um, uh, Hobbs and Shaw yesterday, and there's three tags at the end of the credits. It goes on so long. Yeah, the, uh, the the last movie I saw, like I thankfully had none of that. It's like a Stephen King movie, so he doesn't do he doesn't do post credit scenes. <laughs> like as soon as as soon as the credits came, like yes, I can leave. Thank God. The um um what was I gonna say? Oh, so uh, Beverly's Cop. It's so funny. I don't know if you know this or not, um, but it wasn't originally written for Eddie Murphy. It was originally Sylvester Stallone was hired to star and write in it, and it eventually became the movie Cobra. They fired Stallone when they said the movie was too violent. It's like, where's the comedy? We want an action comedy. And he's like, yeah, this is funny, isn't it? And like, no, you don't know. You don't understand comedy, Stallone. Breaking people's necks is hilarious. Yeah, I'm going to talk about... Have you ever seen Cobra? I have. Yeah, it's terrible. Every joke's about food. And it's just not funny. Hey, you going to eat this pudding? Oh, you should eat it. It's yeah, good Remember he had, he had like a laser on his gun. Yeah, that was the one thing I think pizza. I really remember when I was a kid. He cut his pizza with a pair of scissors, which I've never seen before. <laughs> Why is he just not biting it? I don't yeah, know. What's, so going, what's going on? You got a tiny mouth, Stallone? Are you like an elf and you can't fit the whole slice in? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, what was it? Stallone ended up doing instead of Beverly Hills Cop, he ended up doing Rhinestone with Dolly Parton, and boy, that hit the bricks. <laughs> Well, clearly he made the right choice. <laughs> yes. I, uh, should I uh, make this movie funny or should I go do another comedy and sing uh, Drunkenstein? Drunkenstein, that's what it was. It fucking terrible. Terrible movie. Poor Dolly. That's, not, that's another one I've never seen. You know. Oh, no, it's, it's not worth seeing. Uh, um, so, yeah, that was the one. When you look at the list of movies that came out in 84, there's so many of them, these massive hits that – I feel like they're in the box office top ten forever. Yeah, Gremlins, Indiana Jones, uh, Ghostbusters, and definitely Beverly Hills Cop. This is what the year like where 
excuse me, hybrid comedies were so popular, and I feel like that's kind of dying off. We got horror comedies and action comedies. Yeah, you know, I just saw a, I just saw a pretty good horror comedy that Ready or Not uh, a couple of months ago. But yeah, for for the most part, I, I I'd say you're right. Like back then, action comedies were kind of like the, the thing. That was like you know, especially in the mid the mid eighties. Yeah, they were they, they they were super hot back then. And with the massive hit, they gave him carte blanche basically to do the Golden Child, which was. Uh, fantasy, action, uh, kung fu, comedy. It kind of like Big Trouble in Little China, just not as good. Right. Yeah, I don't mean, I mean, I mean, now, I mean, I wasn't aware that it was a bomb back then. I always, I enjoyed it as a kid. But, you know, years later, I'm like, oh, God, it was terrible. What a bomb. I'm like, really? I thought it was good. But, you know, as a kid. Which one are we talking about? Big Trouble or Golden Child? Golden Child. Well, no, Golden Child did make yeah. its money back. It was much bigger than Big Trouble in Little China. Um, but I think the expectations were so high for Eddie Murphy's next movie that I think a lot of them considered yeah. it a disappointment. I don't think it's a very good movie. I think this is when his self-indulgence just showed itself. He just laughs like 9,000 times in the movie and just improvs for <laughs> so much of it. And I want to know more about that world, like dive into that a little bit better. And I think that's his problem is he gets nervous when he's serious. And so he has to throw in the comedy. And it, it, it screws things up for him, I think. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess he's definitely playing with strengths. Well, think about I how mean, many I how mean, many comedies did he do in the, you know, after Nutty Professor? He did Metro, and then that was it. The rest of them were like these wild and crazy comedies. I think he gets nervous when he tries to take himself seriously. Yeah, I think. Well, I think he's trying to say in his little house. You know, I mean, I think we've seen there's only a handful of like comedians who uh, made a successful transition. To like serious actors and then back and forth. I mean, there's like Robin Williams and maybe there's a few like Billy Crystal. Maybe there's a few others, but there's not a lot of like comedians who have like successfully transitioned into um, you know dramatic actors. Right. I mean, what Jim Carrey had one Truman Show, and he did a bunch after that, but they were never successful. Yeah, I, and apparently the latest one he had, where he's like in Denmark or something, it's really effective. Apparently, it's pretty terrible. I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, but especially back then, there was only like maybe like two or three you could think of who, yeah. who were, you know, what I mean, and who were successful, and it's like it's like it's, it's pretty tough, it's, especially if you're a typecast, you know, if you're already typecast as comedian, it's really hard for anyone to take you seriously. So I get maybe possibly that's in the back of his mind. He's like, geez, man, everybody knows me as this. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, no, you know, I mean, that's where the payday what, is too. That's what you got to worry about. I mean, all those big paychecks did allow Eddie Murphy to walk away. Same thing for Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker can get paid twenty five million dollars for a rush hour and then retire for a long time until he finds something he wants to do. Right. And yeah, and, and even him, I've only seen him do like a dramatic one dramatic role once, and that was like a Silver Linings Playbook. I oh, he hasn't done any other movies. I so thought he did, huh? No, I mean, he, he you know he has. I'm just saying I haven't seen him do anything oh, dramatic gotcha. okay. besides that. The um. So the follow-up after that is Beverly Hills Cop 2, which I'm on the wire about because I um, I loved it as a kid. I probably saw it 100 times as a kid because we taped it off HBO. But as I get older, I realize it's more substance or more style than substance. And right. it's still light years better than part three. But two, um, it seems to be more action-oriented instead of like getting into the characters and the comedy, which works so well with the first movie. No, it's like it's like a typical sequel. You're you're, you're trying to like it's almost, you know you're going you're going bigger and better. You know what I mean? You're like more explosions, more uh, more action, more you know more more car chases. You know because because yeah. you've already established the story, so you have to like you have to hook people in with 
you know, more 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 action, more 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 glitz, more, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. And honestly, so, they picked a director who was known for action, which uh, Tony Scott uh, directed part two. Okay. You know, coming off Top Gun, and so you can see that flashy style in, in his filming. Yeah. Uh, also, another movie I've never seen before. Oh, okay. the Top Gun's terrible. I, was... I love finding out that people haven't seen Top Gun because when I was a kid, it was ubiquitous. I think my father, if I remember correctly, saw it six times in the theater. I can't imagine seeing any movie in the theater six times. And it just played in our house all the fucking time. And we had posters of it. The soundtrack played all the time. I hate Top Gun. I do not think it's there's a good movie. Certain, there's certain things I'm, I'm just not into. I'm not into like military movies and... like car movies like movies based on car chases but if it just happens to be on on tv and i see it like, like i'll see movies that, that that i'm not particularly into they just happen to be on all the time uh-huh. but this is just one that that never just came on it was never for whatever reason it was never on tbs or any of those i never had premium cable so i never saw any of that stuff so i just always missed it you know what i mean and same with like other big like titanic i've never seen that either oh, okay. not because i'm trying not to it just never came around you know yeah, and, but, but, but certainly, what, once I once if I already catch wind that it's not good, I'm definitely not going to see it then. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, oh, why? <laughs> why force myself to see something I know is already going to be bad? You know. The uh, so you probably missed quite a bit of his later run. <laughs> I, I still have never seen Haunted Mansion. My my sister likes that one. I haven't seen it. It just doesn't interest me. Yeah, I I not like if it's like if it's like a, a Disney movie that's like made for a younger Disney audience. I'm not really going to see. It. I didn't see. I didn't see Doctor Doolittle either. Um, I didn't see Daddy Daycare. <laughs> I did see Boomerang. Well, yeah, that's not but, for that's uh, not for family. So that's a more mature movie. That's the one that basically no, brought his career back. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that, and I actually enjoyed that one. What's the one that he was like? Um, he was like a political consultant or something. Oh yeah, after yeah. That? I was hoping you were gonna mention that. Oh. Distinguished Gentleman is highly underrated. It came out right after Boomerang, and everybody thought it was gonna be a big hit because Boomerang kind of brought him back. And uh, right. it did okay, but it didn't make the money they thought it would. And um, I, I say it's really entertaining, and it's more important now. I think the way that we, I think more of us are more keen on how politics are run, what a con artist system it is, right. and that movie really dives oh, yeah. into all the stuff that they work out these angles. Yeah, for sure. I I, I, I enjoyed that one. I'm trying to think of any of like I didn't see um what's the one that was like a, a giant flop? Was it Pluto Nash? Yeah, okay, I saw about. that one out of curiosity. It was on HBO one night, and I watched it. It's not hideous, but you can see where all the flaws are. Yeah. Any right, movie that's kinda... in development hell for more than a decade probably should not be made. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like just like that, what's it called? Whoopi Goldberg and the Dinosaur Cop. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tammy and the <laughs> – I don't know what the hell that's called. The Theodore Rex, that's what it's called. But, um, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so back to Eddie Murphy real quick. Uh, two more movies. Um, we, well, let's mention Raw real quick. That's the one that I don't get the appeal of, but I haven't seen it since it came out. I just didn't find it funny. It was all about attitude and style, but I didn't necessarily find the jokes funny, but I know people who swear by it. Yeah, he was doing a little too much of, like, the rock star sex appeal comedian, which kind of, I mean, I'm not a chick, so, but it kind of like, it's, at that point, you're like, this guy's taking himself a little too seriously. Yep. the leather so, coat like, I, I, or leather I, suit or whatever it was. Not, not just him, but when all comedians get to that stage in their career. And then they, they fully embrace it. It kind of kind of turns me off. You, if it's Andrew Clay or Sam Kennison, you know what I mean. And I get it. I mean, at some point you're famous and you're expected to like you have to be self aware. But I don't, when you like I don't know when you just kind of when you just like really indulge in your own arrogance, it's really yeah. I don't know. I, I find it off putting myself. 
But thank like, goodness. Back then, he was like, Jack was dipped all the way down. Like, <laughs> his belly button. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but uh, what thankfully brought him back was Coming to America, which I think is one of his absolute best. And I, I'm pleased they're making that, a sequel. Because that one, when, yeah. they, when they describe the sequel, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That was my favorite. That's my favorite movie ever. Like, like, yeah, without a doubt, that is my favorite Eddie Murphy movie ever. Yeah, it's... Uh, I know it's, he's got a huge catalog. Of yeah. That's my favorite. He, uh, diving in for the first time into the special effect makeup. Well, no, no, there's that right there's a one sketch in Saturn Live where it's, what is it, White Like Me or something like that? I can't remember what it's called. Oh, yeah, 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 what, he was like the undercover white guy? Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so technically it wasn't his first time, but this is the first time where he, like, dived into creating a character and the rubber appliances instead of just fake hair and a mustache, and that mm. would kind of carry out through, like, the next 20 years of his career is getting into the makeup. And I read somewhere that he became increasingly uncomfortable in his own skin, so he liked diving into these characters. Makes sense. Yeah, you know, you get to fully... It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like wearing a mask, you know what I mean? It's like you get to fully... Fully embrace another identity. Yeah. But uh, we discovered Arsenio Hall through this, who immediately went into his own talk show. And I, it's still weird that he walked away after five years. Maybe he was burnt out, but he was a phenomenon. He was really digging away at Johnny Carson's audience. Now, did he, was that, now, was that, did he do it after that, or did, was it after Harlem Nights that he did start his talk show? I feel like, I feel like after coming to America, then he did Harlem Nights, then Arsenio went. Um, maybe. I thought he did. Yeah, you might be right. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but you might be. You might be right on that one. But uh, but they were fairly close together. But then Arsenio Hall. Yeah. I mean, it still holds today. When I see some talk shows and people start going the ooh 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 ooh, and I'm like, oh, that you guys are still doing that after 30 years. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, he was definitely he was definitely uh, you could definitely see in his interview his influence on on uh, on Wednesday night talk shows like like the people. Uh, Definitely, uh, I'm not saying copy this style, but they definitely have. You can see some clear influence on, yeah. you know, on t- today's top, uh, you know, late night talk shows for sure. Then uh, what is it, the McDowell's? Oh, that always is, sticks in my memory, and Soul Glow <laughs> always just sticks in my memory. Yeah. Soul Glow, and the stickiness in the couch. You gotta watch <laughs> your soul Glow, and then yeah, like the, the Jerry Curl juice in the back of the Ugh. couch. I think I don't even know what that is. Activator, it just like keeps your hair constantly wet, so it's loose. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's like um, it keeps it from like um, from getting dry and like curling all the way back up. Oh, okay. It it kind of like that has to be such a mess. It, though. The, the, yeah, well, it is. So it's constantly like uh, like oily, I guess. Ugh. But it keeps it it keeps it unfurled from like. What do your clothes uh, look like? They must be dripping all over the collar. Oh, it's you know, I, mean, I don't really know. The, I don't really know the maintenance behind it because you know, I kind of missed the window. wasn't old enough to know anybody who used it back then, and you know, no one uses it now. Uh-huh. So the but, uh, you know, it's only go ahead. Only I heard secondhand. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's from what I heard, from always from what I've heard stand up say about it, like back back then, you know. Oh, okay. So. And uh, so his final film of the '80s is Harlem Nights, a movie I just don't understand. I don't understand the appeal, why this is considered a classic. It's, I think, when his ego really blew up. He directed it, wrote it, starred in it, and he has a great cast, a great premise, and it just is not funny. Was it intended to be funny? That's the thing that's confusing me. There was like an action comedy. It was like an action comedy period piece. You know what I mean? There was some very funny scenes in it. I will give it that. There's there's a funny exchange between uh, Red Fox and Bella Reese. There was a funny sequence um, when, uh, with a couple funny scenes with Arsenio Hall. Um, you know... 
Uh, there's another funny scene with, scene with Danny Aiello and this other gangster who were in there too. There's a couple of there's like a handful of funny like bits and premises, but as you know, I mean, as a doesn't really have the total cohesion to tie everything together. But they, on its own, there there were a few funny uh, funny scenes, which I was in my head it's so quote to this day. But I, I could see why you know possibly wasn't his, one of his finer works. Yeah, but right, far from the worst thing he's ever done. Way better than Vampire or Brooklyn. Oh god, I paid to see that in the theaters. Yikes. Yeah, so basically that's our run of his career in the 80s. Uh, maybe later we'll discuss his career in the 90s. We kind of we already did by accident, but um, uh, I'm glad to see him back. It, Dolomite is extremely entertaining. He's got a lot of heart. Um, if you're not used to the F-bomb, it's going to be said about 9,000 times, so just be conditioned for that because <laughs> you're not going to see an edited for TV version. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember when, on his stand-up, I remember him like referencing Dolomite all the time. And uh, and I've never seen his movies. I've never seen, you know, the original Dolomite movies. What's the guy's name? Lee Ray Moore. Yeah, yeah. Get it? You know, I've, I've never listened to his albums or seen any of his stuff. But apparently, he was a big influence on Eddie Murphy's comedy, so he would reference him a lot in stand up. So it only makes sense that he went and did like, you know, did a movie paying homage to one of his comic heroes. You know? Yeah, I mean, he tried to get it going for years, and no one was interested. And sometimes you just get these windows of opportunity, and then now with streaming, they're like, okay, we'll take, you know, any crazy idea that the other studios will not do. So, I mean, and now they're talking about doing Beverly Hills Cop 4 for Netflix, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I guess if there's one place you could do it, it could be Netflix. Yeah, well, I mean, Paramount's hurting. I mean, in this day and age of massive franchises, Paramount's one of the oldest studios, but they only have, like, one or two hits a year, and the rest would just tank, and they're struggling. So I can see Netflix is willing to pay for it, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like Netflix is cutting into the budgets of all these movie houses anyway. They're keeping people at home anyway. Might yeah. as well put your, put your movie on, on TV if that's where everybody's going to, you know, no one's, no one's willing to take the gamble unless it's like an Avengers or something of that nature. Right. That I mean, you don't want to pay. The advertising alone now costs a fortune. It's, it's shocking how much it costs to promote a movie. Yeah. So, yeah, it, like unless it's, unless it's like an art house flick that's going to have a limited release, you're really not going to make a gamble now like a to pay all that money to have like a wide distribution and you know across the country in like major theaters, it, makes, yeah. it only makes sense to put it on Netflix. If that's like the most thing anyway. All right, well it's good to have him back, and uh, everybody uh, will be on uh, video night um, with our next episode, and you can check us out on Facebook um, under that page. Uh, I don't know where my brain just stopped. It went on a pause. Went on vacation. Uh, Tony, thank you for this episode. Oh, my pleasure, sir. All right, everybody, have a good night. <laughs>